This is a Snow India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. Almost every year since 1995, politicians and representatives from all over the world have been meeting in the UNFCCC Conference of the Parties, or as they call it as COP, to discuss ways to reduce carbon dioxide emissions which cause climate change. Scientists have been producing reports in a collaborative manner and all say the same, climate change is happening, and over years only says that it is worsening. All the countries have come to an agreement in the 21st year of the meetings in COP21 called the Paris Agreement. The sense of urgency with which climate change has to be addressed seems limited to words and not to actions. Since climate change affects all the countries in the world and the vulnerable the most, and climate change is so interdisciplinary, there has always been some pressure from civil society. But for the last few years, Youth from across the world has played a very important role in bringing this issue forward. In this episode of Climate Emergency, I am talking to climate change activist Disha Ravi. Hi Disha, welcome to Climate Emergency. Can you tell a little bit about yourself to our listeners who don't know about your work? Hi everyone, I'm Disha Ravi. I am a climate justice activist and a writer. I volunteer a lot of my time with Fridays for Future, both in India and internationally and in locally as well. And I have been working on environmental issues and climate-related issues since 2019. And before that, I was an animal rights activist. What motivates you to be you know, working in climate change field? I think for the longest time, I didn't realize it, but my mother and my grandparents were actually impacted by the climate crisis quite a bit. My grandparents are farmers, and when I was a young child, they didn't have access to water. And they had to suffer quite a bit because of that. And my grandmother had to go long distances, okay, not long distances, but she had to wake up in the middle of the night and then walk in the middle of the night um, to get water. And then my mother had to go long distances, actually, uh, to fetch water before she left for school. And um, I didn't realize it back then because I didn't realize this was because of the climate crisis, because it was a very common thing. Even when we moved to Bangalore and my mother and I, we were living in Malaysia, we'd still fetch water from a well. And I was like really young back then. I was like probably three or five or something. Um, And it's only after when I turned 18 and uh, I kept hearing these stories repeated because even today, my grandparents, every time there's water, even though the situation's better there, Every time the, they switch on the local borewell uh, of sorts, they will go run, switch on the whole borewell for the house, fill every single bucket uh, in the household. So, and it, it made me wonder why they do that. Do that, and that's when. And I started reading up when about the climate crisis when I was eighteen because that's the first time I had access to internet. School taught me little to nothing. Um, and that's when I realized this is all interconnected. And that's why I started working for uh, climate justice, because I didn't want anyone else to go through what they did. Last week, you were organizing the global climate strike. How did it go? And uh, are you seeing more participation from the youngsters? Or what did you feel like? Uh, has anything changed post-COVID? I think one interesting thing is we didn't expect 50, 50 people showed up. And we didn't expect 50 people to show up because it's still 
pandemic. There's still restrictions in Bangalore, especially. Um, and we announced it very last minute. We announced, like, we announced the, the there's a global strike and everything a while ago, but we didn't announce the location until one day before because we wanted to ensure that not many people showed up because we wanted to make sure that we were abiding by the COVID restrictions and we didn't want to gather a crowd. So was, even with the last minute announcement, 50 people showed up and I was quite surprised. I expect like 20 people to show up. Or lesser, but it went well. Uh, and a lot of young people know about us now and know what we do. And a lot of people wanted to join us. And we have worked with, uh, normally, uh, we'd normally partner with farmer unions, trade unions, um, and different sectors of the society because it, the climate crisis impacts them more because marginalized communities are always impacted worse from the climate crisis. But this time we weren't able to do that because of the pandemic we weren't able to do that physically or digitally we are always in solidarity and we amplify and work with them but physically we couldn't have them come and give speeches and talk to us and we couldn't learn from them and how to extend our solidarity and support because we didn't want them to uh, be exposed to god knows what because of the pandemic so uh, it is different organizing in a pandemic is very different than organizing pre-pandemic uh, it can be a little disheartening sometimes because there's a pandemic going on, like this, which crisis are you supposed to deal with? Um, but we've also seen digital mobilizations over various aspects. Like last year, we mobilized over 2 lakh people for um, to send objections against the draft EIA 2020 that came out. And that was brilliant. And I know like what some of our teammates were actually on the podcast last year. So digital mobilizations are super, super useful. And it definitely makes it more accessible to uh, people that may not be able to physically protest at times. No, uh, I completely you know understand how things are starting to change, especially because of the pandemic, the way that you also protest has started to change. And how do you respond to those who say, you know, that this kind of activism whether by, you know, Greta or others from many other countries, all the youngsters, uh, is against development. What do you feel about it? How do you respond to those people? I think uh, environmentalists just generally get this uh, statement that we are against development. But the truth is we aren't against development. The issue with development in India is that it isn't planned properly. It isn't scientific. Um, I think one best example was in because I live in Bangalore, we had... Um, the peripheral ring road that was being uh, expanded to make sure that the traffic is eased. But uh, they this was done by KRDCL, which is the Karnataka Road Association, essentially. And um, they didn't do an environmental impact assessment, that is the EIA, to assess how this will impact the environment around them. And this was going through roads in Sarjapur, which is a section in Bangalore that had age-old trees that were native to Sarjapur that housed in an ecosystem and they skipped over procedures and regulations and uh, a lot of studies have actually shown that uh, you know widening of roads doesn't necessarily ease traffic it actually encourages people to use more private transport and it's also shown that cutting of the trees will these really native trees that um, will actually have a negative impact on the locality and they skipped over the procedure to do the EIA and when we protested that, we were called anti-development once again. But the truth is that we are not anti-development, but 
the development they're making doesn't make sense. It isn't thought out. It isn't scientifically planned out. And researchers at Azim Premji University actually did a rapid EIA. And it was found that it was very drastic. Uh, it would have more negative impacts by cutting the trees there, because especially it was also passing through the Banargata area, which is close to the park. Um, it would impact the ecosystems that live there, the animals that live there, and it would drastically impact uh, the neighborhoods. And uh, this happens every time in RA, that in Mumbai, and in other parts of the country. And we're not against development. We're just against development that isn't sustainable, uh, especially because India is one of the, is going to be one of the countries that is going to be most impacted by the climate crisis. So now more than ever, we need to be protecting our own people and we need to be building an infrastructure that is climate resilient. And we aren't doing that. And we are definitely against infrastructure that isn't well thought out or scientifically. You know, like like earlier, we were discussing about how uh, even the way that we protest has started to change, right? I mean, now we are doing a lot more digital. Digital way of protesting is what we are doing a lot more. Uh, and the way that government is also acting has changed quite a lot. Earlier, we would have, you know, protests of uh, people on the ground getting arrested. But in your case, we've seen this year how, uh, you know, things have been very different. Uh, did you ever feel threatened by the government before you were arrested? Uh, did anything change? And uh, did you ever think you'll get into this toolkit controversy? Uh, uh, well, I'm not commenting on the case because it's still in subject. In general, as an activist, it is a scary um, time to be in the country and be protesting or be just be an activist in the country because last year, our website was blocked and, uh, you know, we got some EOP and that was very scary and we were all panicking about it. Um, I think since then, there's been a general fear uh, amongst everyone, especially young environmentalists. Um, and I, th- I do think digital mediums of protests are super important. I feel like any medium of protest is super, super important because I really, I enjoy watching the reels the kids make with their dancing and raising issues, awareness about issues. It's super important because it it reaches audiences that they, 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 we didn't have access to before. And uh, I think there's this um, issue around perfect activism that there's no such thing. I'd rather there be like a lack, a very, very imperfect environmentalist than like 100 perfect environmentalists because that's going to be bring about way more change than, you know, the 100 who are doing everything correct. So I think we need absolutely everyone in the movement. Um, it's supposed to be inclusive. It's supposed to be open and it's supposed to be creative. And that's what young people are for. And I don't think uh, activism or dissent in any way should be criminalized because I feel like at this point, uh, a lot of uh, activists, not just in environmental uh, spaces, but in general uh, spaces are being punished for thought crimes. And that's really sad. When we talk about climate change activism, you know, globally, we notice that uh, climate deniers make accusations against activists, right? Uh, But here in India, we don't really have uh, the climate like in the West where you have climate deniers, um, I mean, we have a prime minister who wrote a book on climate change, to be honest. Um, I mean, how do you uh, frame the backlash you got in India? I do think there are climate deniers, just not, they're not as prominent, they're not as widespread. And, uh, you know, 
has like, like the global north but here i think one of the reasons that the climate activism isn't popular environmental activism isn't popular and it didn't just start with greta it started with uh people in india with the chipko movement with what happened in tutukudi and all of this are really like what what happened with the narmada bachao andolan it was so powerful and uh but environmental activism or climate activism in general has not been a very popular discourse in india and that's one of the main reasons is because environmental education isn't accessible to most people it isn't in public schools i like i went to a public school and i barely had any environmental education i only remember some ozone layer uh, things that they taught in school and it took me a long time and that's the case with most students it's because they made education about climate so inaccessible um people either deny it or people just don't know that it is a topic of conversation so i feel like that's one of the reasons we just don't have that much discourse on the climate crisis it's still below, i i still feel like even today i'm screaming into a vacuum where it's just a small group of people who understand uh, why this is such an urgent topic speaking of the small group of people Uh, this year we have the cop right <laughs> so this cop is uh, going to be very uh, important for many reasons what do you see uh, young people's role in uh, cop this year what are they going to do in the climate negotiations how are they going to um, pressurize the governments into acting honestly we've been trying to get a lot of people into cop especially from ff india we've we've had badges uh, that and we've been prioritizing indigenous people and making sure they're at cop and even in uh, ff there's been an effort to act uh, to actively push people from the global south and make sure they're heard in the climate negotiations that will happen at cop but the issue is that they've made it so hard with vaccine inequality and just how uh, racist the uk is being towards global south countries and i understand that cop delegates will have exceptions and all of those things but um uh, they're very uncertain about it and i know this personally because a lot of my friends have applied for you know they, they haven't been vaccinated in their own country they've ap- applied for vaccines to uh, the unfccc for cop for attending cop and and they said that they will provide vaccines right but the information that has come from them has been so vague it's been so uh there's no certainty around it and we don't know if they'll get vaccinated in time we don't know if they have to quarantine and this makes cop a very exclusive very elitist and inaccessible event and also one thing we noticed was civil societies got so few badges this year than compared to the previous years and we a lot of people just had to split, split the badge and make sure they they, they could attend and it feels like they're trying they're very uh, purposely trying to you know limit the role civil societies and young people play at cop and which is really ironic because in the media they'll come and say that we want young people here but what's the point of you know uh, doing that if you don't want to listen to us if you aren't willing to uh, be held accountable so it cop to me largely has felt and continues to feel like a media play it's like a pr um thing that they do every year where world leaders gather and lie to us about how far they've come with their climate goals but in reality they haven't done much 
and uh, their words are so far away. They're miles away from the actions they've taken. India keeps talking about how our forest cover has increased, but the truth is our open forest cover has increased, not our, you know, dense forest cover. And open forest cover can be anything. A, like a hugely dense garden can be called an open forest cover. And that's not a forest. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I feel like we keep talking about that while we sell off coal. So um, it's very concerning. When we are talking about COP, uh, one thing that I have noticed this year specifically is um, talking about net zero. Uh, all you know, rich countries <laughs> are putting net zero emissions in all their climate commitments that they put this year. Uh, I don't know if India will. Um, you know, they haven't but, yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they will uh, before COP. You know, yeah. uh, I think uh, before uh, Paris COP, I remember. Uh, on Gandhi Jayanti, they announced uh, the uh, you know INDC or the climate pledges. Call. The government will obviously rate themselves the best, but uh, it will be good to see what they are talking so that you know people can analyze uh, and will have some time. Um, so, uh, what do you feel about net zero emissions? That every country is uh, not every country, every rich country or every country from the global north is trying to put it in their INDCs. Yep, I have lots of um, thoughts on net zero in general. Firstly, <laughs> net zero is definitely not real zero. There was actually a very uh, nice explanation video done by someone. I even I remember retweeting it. Um, it's like one person continues to emit carbon, but the other person gets a pass at you know not committing. It's it's the most bizarre thing because someone is still uh, putting out carbon into the atmosphere. They're still pumping it out. Just because they buy offsets doesn't mean they've stopped pumping carbon out into the atmosphere. I feel like net zero is the biggest scam in the climate um, discourse and so many people have bought into it. Only after INDCs, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And, and, they, and even with net zero, they make such vague promises. Like net zero is bad enough. But when they're committing to net zero, they'll be like by 2050. How are you going to do that? No answer. Absolutely no answer. Um, no action plan. Nothing. So their promises in itself are inadequate. Even the inadequate promises, they don't show how they're going to do. So it's very concerning because, you know, people who've contributed the least to the climate crisis are going to be the most impacted. And honestly, I'm just so tired of all the lies and they expect us to be civil and nice to them during this discourse. And I, I can't, people dying is not a, I'm not going to be polite when people are dying and starving and like breathing toxic air. Do you have days when you feel like, you know, it's all screwed up, there's no hope? <laughs> I mean, I do feel it sometimes that, you know, climate has changed and we are doomed, right? Especially when you are working in this uh, field in climate, you know, when you are seeing stories and you see that um, there's not really a lot of action that is being done by the government, which yeah. which should be doing. Um, how do you how do you continue to motivate you know volunteers? How do you continue to motivate yourself at times like this? Um, honestly, I'm not gonna lie. I think like climate anxiety for me personally has been on the rise because we have so few wins. Like just the climate and environmental movement, we win so few of our you know fights and. Um, it's somehow always getting worse. More people are being impacted. More people are dying. And um, the fact that amidst all of this, world leaders have the audacity to come on there 
and you know still lust over money and still make false promises to people it breaks my heart on some days but um i think what essentially gives me hope is the people i work with uh because uh they're all in it because they believe that you know regardless of what happened we will bring about a change and they all work so hard and they're so committed to it and i'm i'm honestly inspired by them and like um i think we are like all of us we love so fiercely because at the end of the day climate justice is about you know saving the rest of humanity and those words don't even sound as big anymore because we are in a crisis and this is only going to happen because and climate justice is the end of at the end of the day a fight for love for love of all humanity and my all my friends who i work with love very very fiercely and there i i do strongly feel like their love can move oceans and it will save the planet at the end of the day and i i, I don't even care if it sounds cheesy because it's true because i've felt it and this is really what gives me hope what is really difficult in a country like india where you know people are struggling uh, to put meals on plate right and how do you talk talk about climate change i mean when they are just fighting for roti kapda makan like we say how do you uh, educate them about climate change and you know personally also uh, how are you intersectional in your work that you are doing in making sure that these vulnerable communities understand the larger picture i think they ha- they working and struggling to put food on the plate because the climate crisis has some role to play in it and we often don't realize it because again we are not taught about it and it's completely valid because most days you just want to get by you just want to eat your three meals pay your bills and um get by survive in life because it's a hard time to be alive right now and that's completely fine um in our work we try to make sure that we talk to the impacted communities to understand how this happened how it impacted them because floods don't just happen uh like over one day they, it's built up and so do their impacts they don't just last one day the one day that it floods your house they last you know years sometimes because there was a, the quint actually did a very nice report on how floods affect uh, women um in west bengal and it spoke about how women are sexually trafficked because when floods happen uh people lose their houses people lose their homes their homes are swept away and everything's gone so at that point they're struggling so much just to get by and um you know when sex traffickers come in and they offer them money saying that we will make sure your your daughter or you know your wife gets uh, placed in a company or we'll make sure she gets a job uh and they will offer them an advance and they will buy it because everyone wants to just get by but then they're sexually trafficked and this is because and this increases around the uh, flooding season and it's really heartbreaking because once again the most vulnerable communities who contributed absolutely nothing to the climate crisis are the most impacted and this is the case with farmers also because they're the ones who have to suffer from the water crisis or you know when it rains too much again when it floods too much because of uncertain weather conditions and it's always these people who have to suffer from the climate crisis and one thing we do is we listen we make sure that we 
sit and listen to what their issues are because so often they have been screaming for ages but absolutely the mainstream media never covers them and it's always these niche um, reporting that is done on their issues and we try our best to amplify them we reach out to them to understand how we can express solidarity and support and how we can um you know help up, uplift their messaging and that's essentially what we do we i think to work with anyone you need to first sit down and listen to them and listen to what they have to say because uh they are, they have real life experiences and it's their uh struggles that we have to amplify and it's their lead that we have to take so that's how we work around it um i'm not saying we haven't made mistakes ff especially with young and we have made mistakes but we learn from them and make sure that our mistakes don't cost us someone their full livelihood lastly before we end uh, one simple obvious thing you want everyone to do to fight climate change and one policy change you feel everyone should advocate for i know there are a lot but if you want to so put one <laughs> i think one thing everyone can do is just um read more about the climate crisis just i'm i'm big on making sure that climate education is accessible but the issues that even online when you go the version of environmentalism you get often is very whitewashed uh but just acknowledge that you don't have to you know be zero waste you don't have to carry uh tote bags to the market you don't have to be uh using only steel straws or um you know buying from like these niche expensive stores just to get by you don't have to be all of those things to be an environmentalist you just have to believe in the fact that our people and our planet and our home is worth saving and you need to work on it because sustainability really looks different to everyone so just understand what you can do and the internet is always um has free resources and i hope people can understand how to contribute to the movement because you don't have to be in the movement to contribute like i think suno india is doing great with you know making climate education accessible and i think that in itself is a huge contribution um so there are different ways people can contribute and i think recognizing how you can do that will be great um and that can be in different ways you can you can draw art about it you can make podcasts you can make you can compile resources and you can just um you can make reels with dancing videos about how you can help that really really gets the message across and i love it when young people do that you can go to your own local community and talk to how how they're impacting how you can help and i think one policy change is oh my god i wish it i don't even sorry when i have a policy change i just want them to stop diluting existing environmental norms with the eia and with the forest rights act they've just continuously um diluted environmental norms in the focus of pushing ease of business when a lot of corporations already violate environmental laws so i wish they just stop diluting environmental laws uh we can get to the climate action part once they stop actively and very violently uh acting on um uh, destroying the environment then we can go on the improving the environment part we'll be happy to know that we've done i think two episodes on uh, eia uh, in goa and uh, we also did one on tutukudi since you mentioned it since last week uh, unfortunately kamla basin has passed away so 
this episode will end with uh, a poem by her i think i think it would be a good way to end the show दुनिया की आधी आबादी मांग रही कब से आजादी चलिए मिलकर सोचे हम क्या और कैसी हो ये आजादी न ली जाए बेटियों की जान है आजादी वो बेटियों का भी खानदान है आजादी न हो कन्याओं का दान है आजादी वो बेटियां भी खानदान की शान है आजादी हमारी पैदाइश पर खुशी मनाना है आजादी परिवार में प्यार सम्मान पाना है आजादी बेटों से कम न माना जाना है आजादी एहसास कमतरी का न कराना है आजादी नीचा न दिखाए हमें धर्म और त्योहार है आजादी अपवित्रता का न हो हम परवार है आजादी हमें जिस्म न बनाए फिल्में टीवी इश्तेहार होना अत्याचार हर गली सड़क बाजार होना न पड़े हमें हमेशा लाचार ये है आजादी अपनी मर्जी से जीना है आजादी जो मन में है खुलकर कहना है आजादी मर्जी से ही आना जाना है आजादी रिश्ते मनपसंद बनाना है आजादी अपने शरीर पर हक अपना है आजादी खेल कूद से जिस्म का पनपना है आजादी मर्जी से पढ़ना पढ़ाना है आजादी मर्जी का काम चुन पाना है आजादी परिवार और अपने लिए कमा पाना है आजादी अपने पैरों पर खड़े हो पाना है आजादी खुशी खुद को भी दे पाना है आजादी अपनी किस्मत खुद बनाना है आजादी और कभी खुद पर भी इतराना है आजादी पाना समान अवसर और अधिकार खुलकर रखना अपने विचार बेखौफ करना सवाल जवाब बेखौफ सजाना अपने ख्वाब ये है आजादी न होना मन में कोई डर है आजादी चले हम भी उठाकर अपना सर है आजादी वो हमारे भी अपने घर तब है आजादी वो जमाने में हमारी भी कदर है आजादी मन में हो विश्वास तो है आजादी वो ताकत और हिम्मत का एहसास है आजादी वो हमारी भी पहचान है आजादी मिले हमें भी पूरा मान सम्मान है आजादी संग आजादी के बराबर की जिम्मेदारी इसको दोबारा सुन लीजिए संग आजादी के बराबर की जिम्मेदारी है आजादी और ताना हरकतों से ना हो यारी है आजादी ना हो हम परिवारों पर भारी है आजादी ना फिरे बन के हम अबला नारी है आजादी पर जीवी बनना छोड़ना है आजादी रुख जिंदगी का मोड़ना है आजादी सहारों के लिए न फिर न मारा मारा है आजादी बनना औरों का भी सहारा 
है आजादी अच्छी सहेलियों का साथ ये भी है आजादी संगठन और एकता की बात है आजादी समान और आजाद नागरिकता है आजादी हर प्रकार की स्वायत्तता है आजादी Thank you for listening to this episode of Climate Emergency. If you like this episode, please rate this podcast or leave a comment. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.